Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello. So good to be with you. This morning, my day didn't start the way I wanted it to. I had a little bit of a struggle with my youngest son who really didn't want to go back to school on gloomy Monday after having such a good weekend at home. And when I thought about him in junior school, it reminded me of my early years in junior school. I was at a convent school, and although I was crazy and didn't learn much, the one thing I did learn and remember to this day was the Lord's Prayer that we had to say religiously every morning. From Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 15 in the Bible, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power, the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I remember that and throughout much of my life, I understood it to be this religious chant. I'd learned it so well I could almost say it in my sleep. Now, during Jesus' time on earth, his disciples would have also have had a similar experience around the act of prayer as part of their Jewish upbringing. They had learned certain prayers that had become almost second nature. The fascinating thing is that that very prayer that I, as a young boy, understood to be a chant was actually Jesus' response in answering his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray from the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. You see, their prayers had been religious acts, but they saw in Jesus' praise a relational interaction with the Father. For many years as a youngster, I understood the Lord's Prayer as some sort of religious chant, and that was until I came into a living relationship with Jesus, where suddenly my prayer was a relational interaction and not just an act of my religion. Throughout Jesus' life, he prays when he was full of joy. He prays when he is in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is wrestling with his Father's will and feelings of abandonment. He prays with others around him. He prays when he is alone at night with no human contact. He is transfigured while praying before Peter, James, and John on a mountain in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Jesus, also in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, spends time in prayer before he chooses the 12 disciples that will be part of changing the course of history within God's purposes and power. Jesus revealed how prayer was part of his close relationship to his Father and allowed him to live in God's power beyond the limitations of the natural world. And his disciples wanted this kind of prayer life for themselves. Therefore, they ask, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That same power in prayer can be the experience that you and I have today. Martin Luther King Jr. said, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. When the disciples saw the way Jesus prayed, it was a breath of fresh air. It was like 
oxygen going into their spiritual lives and giving life and restoring and refreshing. In 1922, bottled oxygen was used by a British expedition up Mount Everest, led by George Finch and Geoffrey Bruce. At one point, these mountaineers were pinned down by a fierce storm, but they escaped death by breathing oxygen from a makeshift setup during the night. The next day, they climbed nearly three times as fast as any other climbers had ever achieved. And then in 1953, Tenzing and Hillary made the first successful summit of Everest using bottled oxygen. These mountaineers breathed oxygen in order to survive and conquer. And as Christ followers, we pray to thrive and conquer. For in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I recently went on a trip up to Johannesburg, and while we're on the plane, of course, the air hostess and the team, they go through all the safety requirements before the plane takes off. And they speak about the oxygen, and they say in case of loss of cabin pressure, the oxygen masks will come out. They then very clearly tell you that before assisting anyone else with getting their oxygen masks on, you should make sure that yours is fitted on well. So often as Christians, we spend so much of our energy and our time helping others to breathe in the breath of life, to thrive and conquer, that we neglect to ensure that we are healthy with a life that is centered around personal prayer. The Passion Translation of the Bible in the book of James chapter 5 verse 13 says, Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship and distress? Encourage them to pray. Verse 16 in James chapter 5 says, Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And then in verse 17, it gives an example of someone from the Old Testament that saw the power of prayer. It says Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us, but he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the skies opened up over the land so that the rain came again and produced the harvest. From conquering hardship to thriving with harvests of provision, it is all accessed in the private place of prayer. I was recently reading Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament, and it speaks about the waves of attacks that the Israelites, God's people, were experiencing under the hand of the enemy, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And in verses 3 to 6, it speaks about this attack and the way in which God's people, Israel, responded to their struggle. It says from verse 3, For it was whenever Israel had sown their seed that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the people of the east and go up against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the crops of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were innumerable, so they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And as I read that, 
I realized first of all that when the enemy attacked Israel, it was after they had sown seed. They had put in the effort. They had been striving in the strength they had to sow seed in expectation of a harvest. And at that point at which they could sit back and look at their labor and trust and wait for the harvest they had worked towards, it seemed that the enemy came in and took everything. In many ways, the enemy was engaging not in just physical, but psychological warfare. And the enemy does the same with you and I. In the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it explains to us that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the enemy wants to reverse this transformation. He wants to use the mind to transform us from victors in Christ to victims in crisis. We then read in verse 5 that it says, The enemy would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were innumerable. So they came into the land to devastate it. The enemy here is described as a swarm of locusts. Locusts were always a threat to the harvest. So locusts tend to describe the enemy in scripture, while harvest represents God's blessing and provision. So in the book of Judges, the enemy came to steal and destroy God's blessing over his people. And as I read that, I was reminded of a promise that God gave to his people in the book of Joel chapter 2 verse 25, which says, The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. Through Christ Jesus, every promise of God is yes, and our response is amen, meaning that that promise from Joel chapter 2 verse 25 applies to your life, regardless of how often you felt the enemy come wave after wave, trying to take away the hard work you've put in place and the harvest you're trusting God for. Now, further on in the book of Judges, chapter 6, it describes how Israel, God's people, do see victory even in the face of this attack where the enemy had come like a swarm of locusts. And we read about where the process of their victory began from verse 6, when it says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Right here in verse 6, God's people prayed. They cried out for help. And the scriptures here go on to speak about a man called Gideon that was raised up by God in response to the prayers of, of Israel. And through Gideon, victory was given back to the Israelites. In the same way, when you and I engage in prayer with God, we access the power to see the promise of God giving us back what the swarming locusts had once stolen. Remember James chapter 5.13 that we read earlier. Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship and distress? Encourage them to pray. Pray should be our first response, not our last resort. Yet so often we only start praying in surrender once we have exhausted every option, striving for success in our own strength. I want to encourage you today. Don't get caught up striving to sow seed for a harvest that will only be produced through surrendered prayer. Over the next few weeks, 
We are therefore going to be pushing into personal prayer, surrendering the areas of our lives in which we felt defeated, doubtful, and disappointed. We're going to give you practical insight into prayer and guide you around understanding and engaging in warfare prayer. And as we prepare for this journey, I wanted to set the context with some words from the theologian Dr. Tom Wright, who defined prayer accurately when he said, Prayer is faith asking, hope waiting, love embracing. Prayer is faith asking, hope waiting, love embracing. And as you reflect on prayer in that context, I want to leave you with three questions. The first one is, if prayer is faith asking, what do my prayers tell me about my faith in God? Number two, if prayer is hope waiting, what does my patience to God's response to my requests reveal about the degree of my surrender? You see, God always answers our prayers, but sometimes his answer is no or wait, and not necessarily yes. Are we willing to remain in full surrender to the sovereign hand of God when we don't understand? And then question number three, if prayer is love embracing, what does my personal prayer life say about my love for Jesus? Remember at the beginning of today, we spoke about how the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Even though they knew the religious acts of prayer, they saw in Jesus a relational interaction of love between a son and father. And for you and I, our prayer life is not about performing a religious act, but it's about engaging with our Savior in relationship. And when we pray like this, we experience the words written in James chapter 5 verses 16 that say there's tremendous power that is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And as we see the power of God in our personal prayer life, we then see him fulfill his promise in which he says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. So may you pray, asking in faith, waiting in hope, and embracing in love, that you would see the power of God doing immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine for your personal life.